Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Awesome. Well, good morning again. Yeah, so we are in a series called It's Time to Pray. Um, And this is the last week of that series. And I want to thank everyone who has uh, spoken throughout this series. Uh, I know this is something we felt like strongly that we wanted to talk about. And so we're going to wrap it up today. I hope it's been practical for you. I hope you have a better understanding of what prayer is and how it works and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I was going through today and I found a bunch of, of, of memes that I would love to share with you uh, that you might uh, connect with or find funny. Uh, I'm going to go to that first one there on video. Ron, can you throw up that first uh, slide? So when your friend volunteers you to say the closing prayer, Michael Scott said, I'll kill you. Don't you dare. Don't you dare ask me to pray. Here's another one. Now, this one, this one might be more if, like if you grew up in the church and you were familiar with prayer. And by the way, this is from one of the greatest movies of all time, Napoleon Dynamite. She held my hand in the prayer circle. So I guess you can say things are getting pretty serious. Yeah. All right, I got another one. I got another one. Let's, let's see. Uh, some of you are experiencing that maybe today. You didn't eat breakfast. During a quiet time of prayer and service, I will demonstrate a whale call stomach. Anybody ever have that happen to you? No, just, okay, okay. Uh, I, I, think I, have, I think I have one more here. Uh, this is my favorite one. Every family has secrets. But right now, little do you know, your kids across the hall are telling all your family's secrets. <laughs> Pray for my mom. She... Uh, anyway. Uh, I hope you decided for yourself. It's time to pray. Um, and I'm just going to be bold here and ask a question. How many of you in this room would be bold enough to say, you know what, I tried praying for, for maybe the first time ever in my life over the last month, five, six weeks? Anybody? How about this? How many of you have pushed yourself to try to pray in a group where you would have never, ever tried that before? Anybody? Yeah. Hey, church, it's time to pray. And why is it? Because that is the lifeblood that we have with God. And um, when I kicked off this series, and it sounds like my assumption is true, uh, most of the time people go, and this is again my assumption, people are going through the most of their lives without significant prayer. Without, be, without prayer being a significant part of it at all. And whether that's because of embarrassment or lack of knowledge or confusion or frustration or all those things I talked about in week one, maybe you don't even think about it. And then that desperation time comes. You're like, God, help me. God, I need you. But there's so much more to prayer than that. And so we kicked off by looking at the Lord's Prayer. 
where he says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And here's some things that we learned and worked through. First of all, Jesus said, you need to rethink prayer. And he's really talking to the people at that time because they were getting it wrong. And maybe we get it wrong too. Because people were really impressed with the way and the words that people were using and it sounded fancy and it sounded like you have to know like the right formula to do that. But Jesus kind of stands up to that and says, you know what, I would rather that you pray in a closet than pray in front of a crowd. That's really the heart of prayer for me. What he was saying is that our words don't matter as much as our heart matters, as much as our posture matters, right? It's the relationship that matters. It's not a religious tradition or something that we follow. What he was saying in the Lord's Prayer was that we need to be, and this is really the definition of prayer, aligning our hearts with what God's heart is. And we do that when we pray. Because that's why he said, this is how you do that. You pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done. Again, that's our desperation prayers. God, I need this, right? But God, I am praying to you because I know you are the Lord and the King and sovereign and over all and may everything be done according to your will, even if it's not mine. But we are such self-focused people. And this is what we really like talked about, that narrative. We're praying out of the narrative that we learn just from walking around in this world that we are number one, we are in charge, we are the boss, we control our own destiny. What I feel is what most matters In Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer guides us to pray against that narrative. That's the most important thing. So he gave us this example prayer. And the prayer was not meant for us to recite. That was not the point of the prayer. The point was that each line, each phrase of the prayer helps us pray against the narrative that we're fed. We want to pray God's kingdom, not our little kingdom's. The next week, uh, we we went on to talk about the fact that prayer, though, is a two-way street, right? God is our father and our friend, and he wants to talk with us too, and nothing is off limits. Tell him all the things that worry you, that you struggle with. We see this all throughout scripture, by the way. Especially like if you go back and look at, read the Psalms, I think a lot of reasons why we like the Psalms, why we connect with them is because the the writers there were so honest with their prayer. And God as a loving father wants to be a part of that conversation. And he's going to talk back to you if we are postured in the right way, if we're listening. Next week we talked about praying boldly. He tells us, come boldly to the throne of grace, that you could find help in your time of need. Nothing is off limits, right? He could handle anything you ask. And last week, we talked about the thing, and I feel like it's very important, the thing that often gets in the way of our prayers, and that is this, this thing that we, we these, these issues that we build up in our hearts and we become bitter And we need to let that go and release that and ask God for forgiveness for that. And by the way, as a not so much of a side note, it's really cool to be able to launch a new ministry out of Hope Church called Freedom Prayer. Where if you really are struggling, we have teams of people who are trained 
to help guide you through prayer, which is really, really cool. So today's our last day, and I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. And I want to say, it's not about getting it all right, because this is a journey. It's still a journey for me. I think if you asked all our prayer team, they would say the same thing. It's still a journey of figuring out how to do this and what this looks like uh, for myself. But I said, I want us to understand it just a little bit better and that you would start to pray. That you would just begin. It doesn't matter the words. I hope we've been clear about that. It matters the heart. So I want to end this series with an encouraging word for all of you. Can I do that today? And here's the point number one that I want to say today in encouragement of all of us in this room. And it's something you may not have thought about before. I don't always think about it, even as a pastor, but I want you to hear this. It's really important. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. There are 38 recorded prayers of Jesus in the Bible. And when you look at his messages all throughout Scripture, he is constantly praying. Now, if you're a skeptic like me, as I'm preparing this message, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, if Jesus is God, why would he need to pray? Right? Why is he praying to himself? This makes no sense. And if he did pray, why would he have to pray at all? You know, you say God is all-powerful, and he's everywhere, and he's all-knowing. So there's really nowhere higher, if Jesus is God, that a prayer can go than himself. So it just doesn't make sense. Tom, talk to me about this. So this was actually uh, something that is actually addressed in Scripture. Maybe you did or did not know this. And we are not going to spend a lot of time on it because the more important part is just Jesus prayed. I want you to know that. But Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he tries to answer this question a little bit. And uh, it's in Hebrews chapter 5. Put that verse on the screen. It says this. There is so much more we'd like to say about this, but it's a little difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Anybody want to raise your hand to that? Spiritually dull and don't listen real well. Yep, that's me. I'm raising my hand. He, you're not going to get it. And by the way, let's just say, I just want to say this as a pastor too. There's some things you're never going to understand. We are always, that's what, why it's called faith, right? But remember this. Jesus was sent to earth from heaven. We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks. And until Jesus came, all he experienced was the heaven perspective, was a God perspective. The God head was together forever. Okay, your brain's about to break here. It's together forever until he was sent to earth. And once he arrived, it seems like the relational dynamic changes once he uh, arrives on earth. So back to Paul's explanation. Go back a couple of verses. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. And even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a second because I know that's going to sound really confusing, especially to those of you who are just starting out like, what in the world are you talking about? Okay, I'll come back to that. But here's the bottom line. Jesus prayed. It was a habit for him. 
And not only was it a habit, it was essential to his ministry on this earth. And I want to look at one of Jesus' 38 prayers that is recorded today. In fact, I'm calling today's message, The Other Prayer. We talk about the Lord's Prayer, and today I'm calling it The Other Prayer, and we're going to find it in John chapter 17. If you bring a Bible, you could do that. You could open up your Bible on your app, um, go there. We'll also have some verses on the screen. But here's the main thing I want you to know about this prayer, and this is the second thing. So first of all, Jesus prayed. Here's the really encouraging thing. Jesus prayed the same way he taught us to pray. I don't have time, nor do you want me to go through all of John chapter 17 today. But you should go back and read it for yourself later on. But you're going to find that Jesus prays the same way he taught us to pray and that he modeled prayer. That's what I said. He said in the Lord's Prayer, this is how you should pray. And he wants genuineness and earnestness. And all of this is captured in this thing. And here's the first thing I'm going to say about that. It highlights God as our what? As our Father. Over and over again in John 17, he calls God Father. The one we pray to. In other words, I think we should not model our prayer after the legendary Ricky Bobby. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's KFC and the always delicious Taco Bell. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him in his horrible leg. Dear tiny infant Jesus, and then his wife chimes in and says, hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby Look, he says, I like the baby version the best. Dear, eight pounds, six ounce, newborn, infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly, but still so omnipotent. Thank you for all your power and your grace. Dear baby God, amen. Maybe a little irreverent, maybe a little funny, but I think here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus told us and modeled for us who we ought to pray to. We pray to God. We don't pray necessarily to Jesus. Oh, that's not a bad thing. We don't pray to the mother of Jesus. The significance here is that we pray to God, our Father, and we pray to him on those relational terms. And then we talked about further in that prayer, and he goes on, that you are the king. We just sang about the king of glory. So he is both our father and our king. This prayer also highlights the will of God. He's saying, your will be done, not mine. This is Jesus praying into the will of the, the Godhead he's a part of. He goes on to highlight the presence of evil in the world. He acknowledges all of that. Which leads me to my third and final point for today is a word of encouragement. Jesus prayed for you. We don't always think about this. We don't always realize this. But I want to take you now to this prayer. Some people call it the high priestly prayer. That's where I'm going to circle back around in a second. And it's significant because he prays for us. 
the deity, the one who is fully God, fully man, the greatest prophet, the greatest priest, the greatest king of the earth prayed for you. And unbelievably, that's true. So back to Hebrews chapter five. I'm gonna set this up again. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. So here's the deal. In the old way, the Old Testament, the old religious system, there was something called high priests. And those high priests were the go-betweens between people and God. Are you with me so far? They were the one, they were the only ones who could go into the holiest place in the temple and offer sacrifices and prayers to God. God chose them. He chose a whole line of people. You're going to see the line where it came from in a second. I think I read that here in a second. I will. Verse 4. No one can become a high priest simply because he wants it. He must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. Aaron was the brother of Moses. God says, I'm making this whole line, your family line, is going to be the high priestly line. You can't just choose to be a priest. You can't just choose that Verse 5, that's why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. Even Jesus didn't assume that. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. In other words, God himself had to appoint Jesus as the high priest, the one who had now become our go-between. And so even though it's crazy and it doesn't make sense, and that's where he goes, hey, listen, this is really confusing. You're too dull to really get it. But this is what it did. When Jesus came to die on the cross, he took the place of the high priest. There was no more need for the high priest to have to go just to God himself. Now we have access. Are you with me so far? So he goes on. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as the perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and God designated him as the high priest. So there was one reason why he became the high priest, and it was us. It was you, and it was me. That was why Jesus came to earth. That was the will of the Father, God. We mattered that much. I came upon a quote a couple weeks ago by a person named Rick Ives. He says, ponder how valuable your soul must be for Satan to tirelessly pursue it and the king to lay down his own life for it. That's amazing. I wish I could take credit for that. But I hope that hits you like it hits me. You were that valuable. Don't you ever, no one in this room needs to be, be saying right now, I don't matter. I've done way too much crap. God is not, no, no, no. God sent his son as a go-between, between you and himself, to bring him unto himself. And that's how much he pursued you. And that's amazing. And so how did he pray for us? We finally get to the portion of the prayer. Here is Jesus' prayer for us, the high priestly prayer. John 17, and we're going to start in verse 15. It says, I'm not asking you, Jesus says, he's praying to God his Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's you and me. That's his disciples. That's everyone who follows the way of Jesus. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. 
They do not belong to this world any more than I do. I think, let's not push too quickly past the words of this. I think we get some glimpses, actually that's the whole point, of Jesus' heart in this prayer. This is not him reciting the Lord's Prayer. This is his earnest prayer before God, praying in his will. But here's a glimpse of his heart. Maybe you've heard this too. I think so many Christians sometimes get frustrated with the way of the world. And I've heard it many, many times. I, I just can't wait to get to heaven. God, just take me away. And I'm not sure that that was Jesus' heart here. I don't think we see that Jesus plays, or maybe I should say prays, an opposite hand. His prayer for me and you, as Jesus prays for us, is that we would remain meaningful in this world no matter what happens. I want you to hear me say that loud and clear. We have a purpose on this world, on this earth, and we must stay meaningful in the time that we are here. Jesus prayed for us for that. Now, let's be real. He's saying, don't fall into the narrative. This is back to week one, so if you missed it, go check that out. Don't fall into the narrative, though, that it's about your kingdom and about your will, and about your way, because we're so easily sucked into that, and what that ends up is destruction and death. So I know that Jesus, I believe he's praying here, he's like, listen, we're easily going to be sucked into that. I pray against that, Father. I pray, here it is, that you would preserve. That you would preserve those who follow your way in your will, in your will. Satan is tirelessly pursuing you and me. And I don't know about you, but I never think about that. And of course, we have all these illustrations in the Bible, like you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing and all that stuff. And often we don't know until it's too late. But what better knowledge to rest in and feel protected by than the fact that Jesus prays for our preservation in the crazy world that we live in. Let's keep reading. John 17, verse 17. Make them holy by your truth. He's still talking about you and me. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you have sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they could be made holy by your truth. Here's a second thing that Jesus prays for us, and I know this is a weird word. We don't use it. Sanctification. He prays for our preservation. He prays for our sanctification. You say, okay, Tom, what does that mean? Well, here's the idea. He is praying that we would be made holy, that we would let the truth of God's word change us so much, by the way, on a daily, continual basis, that we would live such different and distinct lives that people would see something different and make a change. The way we think becomes different, right? The way we see the world becomes different. The way we speak should be different. The choices we make should be different. Why? Because at the end of the day, this world is not the ultimate plan. This is not the ultimate destination. He has come to, he wants to redeem the world. And so God's kingdom come to earth. His kingdom and purposes are the end goal. So he's praying that we would take that seriously, that we would live with that perspective. And that we would be sanctified daily, that we're becoming more and more like him. 
that we understand more and more what he wants to do. So that's the second thing I would say he prays for us. Let's look at the third thing that he prays, verse 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples, of course, he's talking about the disciples around him at that time, but also for all who will ever believe. Again, that's you and me through this message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Just as you and me are, uh, just, uh, oh, sorry, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I think the reason that Jesus prays this over and over again, and this is just my opinion, is that because Jesus knows that probably the greatest work against Christianity, that the, the enemy's best plan is for Christians themselves to turn on each other. That's what I believe. And we have seen that play out over and over and over again. And I've, and Carrie, and we, we have preached on this so many times May we be one. That does not mean we all have to agree on everything. But there is a spirit in the way that we ought to move in the world with other people. And that is going to be a journey, and that's going to be hard, but Jesus is praying for us to that end. And that encourages me. Because even when I don't want to forgive, even when I want to kind of stick it to the person next to me, he said, uh-uh-uh. Because when the world sees that, it just gives it an open door. So you say, a bunch of hypocrites. Right? Come on, man. We need to be better than that. And that's what Jesus is praying for us for. He modeled it. And he wants us to fight vigorously for it. Because when we do it right, he says the world can't help but see and know that there's something bigger. And they want that for themselves. My guess is for many of you in here today who follow Jesus, it's probably because you saw someone live this out well. I want what they have. Finally, he prays for one more thing. He prays for preservation, sanctification, unification, all these big words. Finally, glorification. Verse 24, he says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Jesus prays all these things for two ultimate purposes. Two, that those who believe will be glorified. Ultimately, Jesus is praying that we would spend eternity with himself. And number two, that God will be glorified. That you, me, our neighbors, our community, our nation, our world would come to see God as the good Lord and Father of their lives. You know, as I was, I was, I was writing this, it, it sound, it's almost like Jesus' last will and testament. That's how it felt to me. This is what I want for all of you, and I'm going to write it down so that you can inherit these things and work on these things, right? He prayed a new narrative over you. He's praying the new narrative. He's praying a new way over you. He's praying a new will over you. And I don't know about you, but I find this 
encouraging that Jesus prays for us. So I'm going to wrap this up. What does this mean for us then? A couple just kind of sporadic thoughts. There's power in prayer. There's power in prayer because we have direct access to the Son, uh, to God through the Son. Hebrews 8, 6 says, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, the old way, for he's the one who mediates for us a far better covenant based with God on better promises. Uh, Hebrews 7, there are many priests under the old system. Death prevented them from remaining in office, but Jesus lives forever and his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He lives to intercede with God for us. He sees you. He sees you. Some of you need to hear that today. He sees you. Even when he does, you don't feel like you do, he sees you. And number two, he pleads for you. He's begging on your behalf. He knows how to pray best for you and for me. And I love that. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but I'm going to keep going with some scripture because I just want to fill this up, this idea. A lot of you know this passage of scripture, if you, especially if you grew up in church. I'm going to read it, but I'm going to just put bullet points up here. Romans chapter 8 says, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, he says, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all of our hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God, here's this verse that a lot of us know, causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Here's a great one. If God is for us, same passage, who can be against us? I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, he says. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's encouraging to me. Maybe one of the most powerful scriptures in all, and it's all about us. And as we wrap up a series in prayer, going into prayer, you need to know that Jesus is fighting for you. He sees you. He pleads for you. He knows how to pray to God the Father in the best way. He loves you that much. There's power in prayer. Why is it so important? Quote, a couple quotes by Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, it is, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes, and the business of cobblers to mend shoes. So it is the business of Christians to pray. It's good. He says in another place, none can believe how powerful prayer is and what it is able to affect but those who have learned it by experience. It's a great matter when in extreme need to take hold on prayer. Hope Church, it's time to pray. Start however you're comfortable. Jesus gave us lots of loose instructions for how to do this. It's not about praying the right way. 
It's about praying with an earnest heart that's focused on his will and not our own. And when you pray, know that Jesus is praying with you and for you, and may that give you confidence. And when you pray, know that God is not only your intimate father and friend, but he is also, do not forget this part, because we like that comfy part. He's also the king and sovereign Lord of the universe. He's the creator. And may that give you boldness when you come to him in prayer. And when you pray, know it is the ultimate act. Just know going in, it is the ultimate act of submission and obedience. Pray according to his will and not your own. And may all of that give you humility. Church, what? It's time to pray. Dear God, our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Say this with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here we go. Let's put this part in. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.